Welcome to the sermon portion of our online service together today. As we dive into studying some texts that tell us of some of the wildness of people's relationship with God over the years, let us first join together in prayer. Let us pray. God, this morning our texts have a lot of things happening in them. And we may have a lot of questions. And as you know, this sermon won't have all the answers. So as we study the text together, over our breakfasts, maybe as we sit on the couch, as we stumble out of bed, God, would you meet us in these places? Would you meet us here in the questions and show us that perhaps that is where our relationships with you grow and deepen? Let us each know that you welcome us with all of our feelings, our anger, our confusion, our doubt, our joy, or our sense of peace, and always loving God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. And if there is anything that we say or think in this time that isn't of you, please, in your grace, just help us to forget it. We pray these things in the name of God, our creator, God, our savior, and God, our constant encouraging companion. Amen. Well, friends, our Exodus story struck me as pretty weird this week. Did it for any of you? The Israelites have escaped slavery with some pretty magnificent acts of God on their behalf. And the group of them, they are surviving in the desert, in the wilderness, due to God's provision of food and water, God's incredible grace for them. But this people, they've been in the wilderness for a long time. They've been wandering around and they haven't made a home yet. They live in tents, and I love camping so very much. Camping is a delight, but long-term camping without a home to go back to, that would be difficult. And now, in chapter 32, one story that we read this morning, their leader, Moses, has gone up a mountain to supposedly talk with God, and he hasn't come back. And the people, they are getting anxious. And so they go to Moses' brother, Aaron. And they express their anxious thoughts to him. They try to do something in order to gain some semblance of control after their lives had been upended. Even if they had been upended for good, it is still stressful. They tell Aaron that they need new leadership, new deities to lead them. They wanted to make something that they could see and remember, something that could make them feel less alone when the God they thought had brought them out of Egypt, the God they thought would keep helping, when that God was silent. They wanted a God that was a little bit more predictable, something maybe that they could control and understand. And this isn't even the weird part for me in this text. Honestly, it makes a lot of sense. When I'm anxious, I too wanna to find something that I can control so that I can feel like something is going okay, to feel like maybe I will be okay. I too wanna to make God into some kind of image I can control so that I don't have to trust what is so wildly beyond me. And that isn't what struck me as weird. No, and it doesn't seem to strike Aaron as weird either. He seems to be in charge of the people as his brother Moses is MIA on the mountain, supposedly with God. And I imagine even Aaron, he's having doubts. They had certainly escaped in some pretty miraculous ways from Egypt. God had intervened. 
But sometimes after a while, after a while, it becomes hard to remember those moments of salvation that we have experienced. Especially, we have a hard time remembering those when we are in difficult times. It might especially become hard to trust when the person in charge and the person who hasn't communicated with the people or yourself for days is your own brother. I think this is what Aaron was feeling. And this doesn't feel weird to me either. It makes sense. It is short-sighted, maybe, forgetful, for sure. And yet, when you're in a desert with no end in sight, when your brother might be dead, when you're leading a group of people who've been through trauma, when you're unsure about what they might do next, what you should do next, this makes some sense. And Aaron listens to the people's anxiety and he agrees. And Aaron tells them to do what to do to make their feelings better. And then as the people follow Aaron's directions and they give him a bunch of their gold things, their jewelry and precious metals, and Aaron melts them down and creates for them a golden calf that they can worship, he sets it up and he tells them, here, here are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. There will be a festival tomorrow and you can even make sacrifices to this god on this altar that I built. See, right here, it'll all be okay. And this too isn't the weirdest part of the story for me, despite the fact that Aaron is apparently a secret gold welder, sculptor, event planner, religion creator. No, I imagine that they all had their reasons for doing this. Anxiety over Moses being gone too long, fear of what the crowd might do in their worry, forgetfulness about their experiences with God's miracles on their behalf. Maybe they were hunger, hungry and thirsty in the desert or tired of eating the same food day after day after day after day. As beautiful and wonderful as the provision of manna is, it must have gotten tiring to eat over and over, I imagine. And I imagine this all stirred up quite a storm within them that made this community wild. Again, it makes sense. But the piece that I have questions about, the piece that gives me pause, the piece that unsettles my heart is not what happens in the camp, but what happens on the mountain. Despite what the people think, despite what seems apparent down below, Moses is not dead or missing. Moses is still meeting with God on the mountain. And I imagine the scene. I imagine the mountain to be a bit like the moonscape that is like the high altitudes that we see on mountains here in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe like Camp Muir at Rainier or the Upper Enchantments. I imagine the mountain wrapped in some clouds. Nothing is growing up there. It is too inhospitable and the rocky desolate landscape only visible for a few yards out. And as the story goes, God speaks to Moses and tells him what the people have been doing down below, the people that he has been leading. God tells Moses that they have melted down their jewelry to make an idol that they are now worshiping. And here, here is the real kicker, the piece of it all that weirds me out. God then says, I have seen these people. The Lord says this to Moses. And they, they are a stiff-necked people, he says. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I might destroy them. And when I read this, I couldn't go much farther. I had to stop and sit with it. 
Are these people a stiff-necked people, as God calls them? Yes. <laughs> Have they given God some trouble for caring about them and saving them? Absolutely, yes. God freed them from slavery, did miracles on their behalf, took down an oppressive, unhealthy leader with natural disasters. God gave them commandments so that they could be well and happy, so that they could live free and healthy with one another. And here they are breaking the first commandment he gave them about having other gods. Perhaps God is just fed up here. It has to be frustrating to give and give and give only to be written off by the people that you love. But what weirds me out is that God just seems so completely ready to give up on these people. A people that God just rescued. There doesn't seem to be a lot of time for the people to learn here and correct. People certainly do this. When someone hurts us, we want to write them off. People do that. But does God, does God ever write people off? And what does that say about God if God does give up on people? What does that mean for our theology of who God is? And this wasn't something I was going to figure out on my own. I was uncertain about what this meant, but if seminary taught me one thing, it taught me where to look when I don't know the answers, which is all the time. <laughs> I wanted to know what this means about our God, and so I did some study, I did some digging. And I admit, I still have a lot of wild questions about this, and I think, I think that's okay. Maybe doubt, uncertainty, being weirded out by the text and asking all sorts of questions is part of what it means to have faith. If we had all the answers, we would be God. This is part of what trusting God is all about, asking questions, doubting, being confused, getting angry at the text and at God. If God is who God says that God is, then God can handle it. And then perhaps our job is to figure out what to do with our doubt, our lack of trust. Maybe doubting and still showing up, still wrestling in relationship with God. Maybe that is faith. Blind following isn't it. As much as wrestling and coming back to God is. It is even holy to ask these questions and be honest about our doubts, I think. And I think this right here is at the core of what's happening in our story today. These people, they had experienced a lot and they had reason to be afraid. They had doubts and questions. And Aaron too, he might have been feeling those same things. Maybe he was afraid of what the people would do if he told them to wait for Moses and for God. Maybe he too was afraid his brother was dead. And I think the problem in this story isn't that the people had doubt, anxiety, and questions. The problem was instead that the people, in their doubt and confusion, they decided that they could do best. They could make God in their own image, and then they could control it. And Godfrey Ashby, a retired Anglican bishop from South Africa, tells us in his commentary on the book of Exodus that this thought on God's behalf to destroy these people and give Moses new ones was a bit more complicated than the text may seem. Ashby says that God's instinct to destroy them wasn't a rash action on behalf of a jilted God, but instead it was God's frustration at a people that he had freed for so many bigger things.
God had not freed these people to be a nation for themselves. God freed them to free others and create a world that was good. Jim Bruckner, a professor from North Park Seminary that I got to study with, says that these people were the chosen people, not for themselves. They instead were blessed to be a blessing. And instead of being a people of blessing, of thinking outside themselves, they became afraid in this moment and they decided that they had to control things. They created God into something that they could control. And this is what it means to have idols. Instead of turning to the wild and unexpected God that is so far beyond our comprehension, sometimes in our fear or doubt, we turn to create something that we can better understand instead. And it makes sense. We put God in a box. But God has saved us for much more beautiful things too. Things that are beyond our comprehension. We stifle ourselves and God's work in the world when we don't allow God to be God. We can rail against God as much as we need to. We can doubt and process and be confused. We can ask God our questions. In fact, I think we should. That's what it means to be in a relationship with someone. And God is no different in that respect. The people had been saved for such goodness. They were to be blessed and they were to be a blessing. God had made promises to them, was saving them actively, was leading them to safety and goodness, had purposes for them. But the people forgot. In a moment of silence, they forgot. In their fear, in their lack of trust, they decided to do something different instead of stick it out. This was the theme of the story of these people, and I think honestly all of us, perhaps. God describes them as stiff-necked, and we can imagine what that looks like, can't we? I think sometimes in our fear, we become stiff-necked too, proud, refusing to listen to reason, trying to control things and be right so that something, at least something, can feel okay in the world. And because of their actions, God grieved and God was angry. God wanted to give up on these people in grief and start all the way over. Perhaps these people felt like a lost cause. I still have so many questions about this, about our God that we say is ever hopeful for us and ever loving of us, but perhaps God also sometimes says enough is enough. Perhaps when people go their own way and harden their hearts against God, God knows they won't turn back and God says enough is enough. I imagine this gives God such grief. And I still might question how God might think these things, plan such things. I'm not super comfortable with these questions about God or how God is such a mystery in this way to me. I want answers. But God is too big and mysterious for me to figure out. And maybe, maybe I don't want to. I've been learning a lot about the mystics these days. These are Christian mothers and fathers who learned about God in this way, asking questions, getting close to God through images and stories. I've been learning a lot about them. Maybe I don't want to figure God all out. I might struggle to sit in the mystery and questions and struggle to not make God into my own image and explain things away like the people in the story. I want to continue to work on sitting with the questions, though, and the mystery that is God, because I don't want a God that I can figure out. 
I want to worship a God fully beyond me, much more glorious than I. I suppose I will have to keep sitting with God on this one and asking the questions. But an interesting thing too happens in our text that does bring me some peace. And I'm curious about this next odd piece of the story too. God tells Moses this, tells him that he may be destroy the people and give Moses new ones to lead to promises and goodness and purpose. But Moses has compassion on his people. He tells him that he wants to stand in the breach. Our Psalm says that, that he stood in the breach. And this, this term is a military phrase about taking the brunt of an attack in order to protect others or going through a wall or a divider in between people. And here Moses says, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? He reminds God of these things. Moses says, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? He says, would this really look good? He says, turn from your fierce anger, relent, do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Do you remember that, God? And then the text tells us that the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. And I wonder... I wonder if any of us have had people go to bat for us, people who have stood in the breach for us, who have gone to God on our behalf. Maybe sometimes in our own times of fear and doubt, when we have more questions than answers about God, we need someone to come with us and stand in the breach. We need someone to go to God on our behalf and hold our faith for us. I still struggle with the idea that God might be persuaded by humans like you and I, that God could change God's mind. I still have questions. I wonder if I am missing something here theologically. Probably am. But I love that Moses goes to God and helps people in this way. I love it. In the middle of my questions and doubts, I can remember that there are others who can go to God on my behalf. Who can hold my faith when I can't anymore? While there are some in my life who might help me make an idea of God in my life that I can control and that would make me more comfortable, there are also Moseses in my life who will support me in my doubt and help me come to our mysterious God who doesn't give us all the answers but who still plans good things for us, who still has purposes for us, who blesses us richly so that we can be blessings too for others. Moseses in our lives can help us sit in the uncomfortable questions and fears and know that we are held by God anyway, even when God seems silent and as we are in the middle of deserts. And these times happen often. I hope that you have Moseses in your life. And if you don't, if you need someone to sit in the questions with you, we can do that. I would be so happy to over Zoom or the phone. And Pastor Steve, I'm sure, would welcome that too. 
He has been a Moses for me at times, welcoming my questions and my fears and helping me sit in those places. I imagine in this time, as our country goes through so much, as we weather a lot of stress and fear and uncertainty, I imagine that you might have the, insti the instinct to believe that God isn't helping anymore, that God isn't here, that God is silent. I think that is normal. You might doubt that God has our best in mind or wonder what is coming next. In your fear, you, like the people in our story, may want to create an idol to worship instead of God. You may want to put God in a box of, in your mind somehow and create a God to worship that is easier to control and easier to stomach. A God that isn't so wild and mysterious and confusing. But even as you feel those things, instead of creating God in your own image, May Moseses come into your life and help you sit with those burning questions. And may they help you rage against God if that is what you need. May these Moseses, whoever they are, help you stick in relationship with God, even if that conversation is one of questions, of doubt and rage. May those Moseses come to God on your behalf and hold your faith when you cannot. As we long to grow closer and closer to our mysterious God, may God bless us with these questions. And may God bless us with Moseses who stick by our side and help us through. Amen.